0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me in your Bible. We read this scripture this morning, sort of a foundational text. We want to read a couple more like it. First Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Glory to God. Verse 1 says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Hallelujah. Turn with me then over to the book of Ephesians and look at Ephesians chapter 6. Verse number 18. Praying always with all prayer. Other translations say all manner of prayer. Every kind of prayer. Praying always with all kinds of prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Notice it talks about supplication in the spirit. The the rules that apply to supplication and we're talking about, of course, revival, praying. We're talking about, in particular, focusing on two particular kinds of prayer. uh, Supplication, and intercession, and then we will talk a little bit more about united prayer and the importance of that. Uh, The rules of the, the different kinds of prayers have different kinds of rules or principles that uh, regulate the operation of those kinds of prayers. Some of the rules of, of a particular type of prayer apply uh, to some of the other kinds of prayers. Some of the rules of that prayer will not. When it comes to supplication and intercession, they're very closely related The only real difference or the main difference is that supplication can be made for anyone, saved or unsaved, for any kind of need, natural or spiritual. Uh, Whereas intercession uh, can be made for uh, saved or unsaved. but, But intercession is particularly and especially associated with holding back judgment. We talked about the fact that when people persist in sin... Uh, God, God we, we read this earlier over in the book of Micah, that God delights in mercy. He's not willing to, uh, that any perish, it's not his will that people perish. He doesn't delight in judgment, he delights in mercy. In the New Testament it says that mercy triumphs over judgment. And, uh, and so thank God for that. Because of his mercy and because of the, and because of what Jesus did, In his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus ushered in what we know today as the day of grace. The church age is a day of grace. Well, God is able to be gracious uh, and judgment not come uh, so readily because of what Jesus did. At, At the same time, sin still beckons or calls for or uh, provokes god 's wrath it still calls on on God to do something. We read uh, in in a previous session we read about uh, in the book of Genesis about the cry that came up from Sodom because of their sinfulness, and it cried out to God for judgment. We see it in the very uh, first of the bible in the in the uh, uh, second third chapter of of uh, the book of Genesis how God said that, that the blood of Abel cried out to God from the ground. Well, what does that mean? It just simply means that that sin uh, uh, cried out to God uh, and, and, and insisted on judgment uh, to be done. And um, that's still true today. Even though God is operating in from a position of grace, uh, sin still calls out. And when people persist in sin... Uh, unrepentant I'm not talking about somebody who is struggling against sin I'm not talking about that I'm talking about someone who uh, with full knowledge openly rebels against God and persists in sin in defiance of God with no repentance no, uh, no uh, heart for pleasing God uh, that calls on judgment and the prayer of intercession is a prayer to uh, stand in the gap between that, that person or persons who have uh, provoked God's judgment and wrath because of their wrongdoing. The, the intercessor stands in the gap between them and the actual execution of that, of that uh, judgment. Well, we talked about this morning, we asked the question, on what basis can we do that? And I made mention that, you know, we can pray and, and petition God and ask God to do things for people. We can make supplication and intercession because he told us to. So on the one hand, because he told us to, that authorizes us. But from, but from my point, the, the, uh, the, the deeper point and the stronger point that I was making is that what, what is it that enables us to stand in the gap? See that's that's a that's a, a deeper concept and a further concept than than just praying for somebody. Stand up here for a second, Doug. C- come here, uh, whatever your name is, Jonathan. <laughs> let's 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 say let's say stand right here like this. Let's say I'm God, and let's say Brother Doug has done something to provoke wrath. He has uh, unrepentant sin in his life, rebellious. Uh, so forth and and his conduct is provoking uh, judgment. It's calling on judgment. For one one concept we have of prayer, we have of of Jonathan standing over to the side and saying, "God," and he's praying for Doug. He said, "Oh God, bless Doug. Oh God, help him. You know, help him to see the 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 error of his ways." He's praying for Doug. That's that's one thing. It's another thing for. For Jonathan to be in a position in the spirit where he actually stands between me and Doug. That's what an intercessor does. He stands in the gap between the one who has uh, sinned and, brought, and, and provoked God's wrath and the execution of that wrath. Well, you can be seated. Thank you. So you see the difference in what I'm talking about? What is it that positions us? Who are we? I mean, think about that. Who am I to stand between someone and God? Here's God and here's a person that's done wrong. Who am I to get between the two? Remember Job said, there's no umpire who can stand between us and put his hand on the one and put his hand on God and bring them together. And, And there wasn't anybody. And so the only one qualified to stand in that place, there wasn't any man who could stand in that place because everybody was in the same boat. Everybody deserved God's judgment. So because there was no man, it displeased the Lord that there was no man, so he sent a redeemer, he sent Jesus. And we know that Timothy says that there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Well, how do I get in that position then? I'm, I, can, I can function in that position because I'm in Christ. Amen. Because I'm part of Christ, because i have one with him. That, that places me in the position legally to stand in the gap as Jesus does. There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Well, I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm in union with Christ Jesus. Amen. And so supplication and intercession, we, we define supplication as a heartfelt, fervent prayer, not casual praying, but fervent praying, serious business in prayer. Well, intercession, simply because of the nature of standing in the gap between people and impending judgment, it is also of necessity, not casual praying. It is, it is fervent praying. So that fervency applies to both supplication and intercession, and and where intercession is uniquely uh, has it ha- where intercession uniquely has to do with holding off judgment, whereas supplication doesn't have any context or, or uh, it doesn't have any connotation of judgment. Uh, uh, it is nevertheless praying for people. And getting a hold of God for people. And the, the elements kind of cross over. So when you're talking about supplication intercession. A lot of the things uh, about it apply. Fervency applies. Uh, ha- having the heart of God supplies. Being in the spirit to be most effective. Also applies to both of them. Notice here in Ephesians 6. It says praying always with all kinds of prayer and supplication. In the spirit. In the Spirit. Go with me over to Romans, the 8th the chapter. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Now, it's not talking about physical weakness. He goes on to tell us what kind of weakness... That it's talking about in the next sentence. He says, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. That's our weakness. We know we should pray about things, but we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Somebody said, or somebody might say, Well, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know to pray. You know, I I didn't know. Yeah, but you ought. (laughs) Well, how can I know? How, I didn't know about Brother So-and-so in Texas, you know, that I barely met. I mean, how, how would I know? I don't know what's going on in his life. Yeah, but it says, as we ought. We ought to pray for things that we don't even know about. We ought to. Or the way I was raised, we ought to. We ought to. It's, it's, it is our responsibility. Read it again. For we do not know what to pray for or what we should pray for as we ought. We ought to. Well, if we, if we ought to do it but we don't know, then how are we going to do it? With the Spirit. Amen. This is how He helps in our weaknesses. For the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When you're talking about the prayers of of both supplication and intercession, uh, they involve the help of the Holy Spirit. Both supplication and intercession require the help of the Holy Spirit to be effective. Now, uh, you know, Brother... Uh, Jonathan could pray for Brother Doug uh, as, as best he knows. Oh, Brother, you know, if God helped Brother Doug, you know, he's backslidden and he's, you know, he's not doing right. God help him. Well, that has some benefit. We, we, we should pray at, as what we know, we should pray for as we do know to pray. But that really doesn't uh, get the job done as it ought to. So God wants us to do a better job in praying than, we're just, than just praying with our understanding. And so for supplication and intercession, either one, for them to have their, their most effect, for, them, for these prayers to function like they need to, they need to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit has to help us. Now, how does it, what does it say here about His help? It says the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, we know this from previous uh, teachings that we've done, that the word help there is a real long, in the Greek, it's a real long compound word that I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, but it's a made up of, of several different words, and it literally it literally means to, if I can remember here, uh, uh, yeah, to, to, to take, hold. take hold, yeah, to take hold, oh, thank you for helping me. You're good students it means to take hold together with against it's a big long greek word and if you put all the words together it's a compound word it means to 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 take hold to uh, together against to take hold together with against well against what well against our infirmities but he takes hold together with us we need the holy spirit taking hold together with us Amen. We need him in order to be effective in supplication and intercession. And in order to be effective in praying for revival. Because there are people who need to change, frankly. There are people who need to be awakened out of their lukewarmness. There are people who need to be restored, who are backslidden. The church, like I've said, as a whole—not not this church necessarily, not you necessarily—but as a whole, the modern day church is is dreadfully backslidden. And in, and in order for the church to be what the church is supposed to be in this final uh, in these final hours of the church age before Jesus returns, the church is going to have to change. I mean, there's going to have to be a real revival in the church. Well, how, how is that going to happen? How, it, it's going to happen when those of us who know the will of God and, and have the Holy Spirit leading us, we're, we're able to enter into a place of supplication and intercession for people to, that, who aren't praying for themselves, that, who aren't in, in uh, uh, right uh, relationship and right fel- they're not in fellowship with the Lord some are not even in relationship with the Lord and so uh, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit has to take hold together with us to help us we talked about the fact that God uh, loves people fervently he loves people deeply more than we can even imagine and, and we can imagine we, we, we have the love of God we've, we've experienced the love of God you know, recently there's been a, a couple of situations, a couple of shootings where the uh, people who, were, were, who survived the shooting, people were killed. And the people who survived were Christians and they said, we forgive the person who perpetrated this crime. We forgive that person. And I heard it on the news I heard not one, not two, not three. I heard it over and over and over again. I heard commentators and different people said, I don't understand that. I don't understand how in the world you can forgive somebody that's done something like this, killed your family. I just don't understand it. And the interesting thing about it is because I watch this particular news channel a lot and I and I recognize some of the people talking, some of the commentators, over a period of time, I've heard them, they're Christians. They're Christians, they're believers. And yet, they, they come on TV and say, I don't understand that. I, I just don't believe I could do that. I, that just baffles me. That just, that's just more than anything I can imagine. How people? Well, they need to get right with God. I understand it. I said, I understand it. If you're saved, you understand it. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. So a person that doesn't understand it, they're either not saved or they're just not walking in fellowship with the Lord. Amen. Amen. The Bible says the love of God has been poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So we do have his love in us. We are able to love like he loves. But at the same time, we also understand that our understanding of that love and our grasp of that love cannot possibly equal God's grasp of his love. Amen. Well, in order to be effective in prayer, by the Spirit, by yielding to the anointing in prayer, yielding to the Holy Spirit in prayer, we're able to more fully uh, uh, enter into a level of desire and a level of fervency and a level of compassion for people that we cannot enter into on our own. We understand it. We say, yeah, I understand it, but it's one thing to to, to have a concept of it. It's another thing to actually enter into that. Amen? And so in in revival praying, it's going to require us to uh, be able to reach out by the Holy Ghost and put a hand on people who aren't doing what they should. And who aren't where they should, and put a hand on God because it's and it's and say, well, why would God do that? Well, you know, Jesus ever lives. We talked about this morning, he ever lives to make intercession. That's true, but He He can only, He can't do things here. He needs somebody here to enter into that intercession with Him, to, to join with Him, and to be His His mouth and to be His voice and to be His arm extended in the earth. Are you, you following me? Amen. So we mentioned this morning as we were leaving uh, that love is the foundation for this kind of a prayer life. Amen. We're commanded to love one another. Amen. The love of God has been shed abroad in our heart. We're also commanded to love our enemies. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 45. Glory to God. Verse 44 says, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son Rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Now notice, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So we're, we're supposed to love our enemies and we're supposed to pray for them. Now notice, he said, do this, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now you break that down, and that's that's uh, that's kind of a contradictory statement. That you may be sons of your Father, who is in, well. If he's your Father, then you are his son. You understand in the Bible that even the women are called sons of God. You do realize that, right? Uh, we're all sons of God. That you may be sons of your Father. Who's in heaven? Well, he is our father. We are his sons. So, so what, what in the world does he mean? How, what, how do you interpret that? I interpret that to mean that you may function as his sons. Love your enemies. Do good. Bless. Pray for them that you may function as sons of your father that you may stand in that place towards men that God does because God loves the unlovely. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He sends the sun on the good and on the evil. Makes it rise and set. He, he, God is, is kindly disposed even towards the ungodly. He's not willing that any perish. He is merciful. How many of you, before you ever came to Christ, can testify uh, uh, how many times you could have uh, gone out into eternity? And I mean, you just were not right with God and, and doing everything against God and God was merciful to you and kept you. And well, how does, how does he do that? Well, part of his ability to do that involves people praying. He, he can't do this on his own. If he could, he wouldn't need us. He needs us to stand as sons of God. Join heirs with Jesus. In, in union with him. As sons of God to make a difference in this world. And really the love of God is the basis for everything we do. The love of God uh, involves laying down your lives for others. Jesus said no greater love has any man than this. That he uh, lay his life down for his, for his brother. Well, uh, We lay our lives down for others in prayer. There's sacrifice involved in being a person of prayer. You're not going to be a person of prayer and uh, experience all of of the riches of the spirit realm without putting your flesh under. You're not going to experience the glory of that realm without some sacrifice on your part because the enemy's going to fight you He's going to do everything he can to keep you out of that place of prayer. And, uh, and like I said, being, being a person that God can truly use. I tell you, when we get to heaven, when people think, you know, so often, I'm not, I'm not going to speak about anybody's vision in particular because that's between them and God. But ever so often, when a great one goes to heaven, someone we consider a, a, a real champion, a real general of the faith, so to speak, Kenneth Hagin, different people, and they go to heaven, you know, they die. Uh, every now and then, you'll, you'll hear, or I do at least, I hear these little stories of people who had visions of heaven. And in heaven, they saw uh, Brother Hagen doing this. He was in a place of prominence. You know, I've, I've heard over and over again, people said, you know, in heaven, they saw that even in heaven, Brother Hagin was teaching and, and uh, uh and so forth, and so i I hear the and i'm not and i'm not saying it's it's not i that's not what i'm saying I, I don't i don't have an opinion on it okay you know it's you know you don't have to have an opinion on everything it's not necessary and uh, and so I just choose not to have an opinion on that but what what amazes me is that when people uh have these visions of heaven. What's amazing to me is they always see people that we looked upon as great. And they are highly esteemed above everyone else in heaven. But you see, I believe when we get to heaven, they're going to have their rewards. But I tell you what I think. Now, this is just what I think. And, and I, you know, you can take it whatever you want. But I think the people in the background who no one ever knew No one ever saw, but they gave their lives to prayer. I believe those are gonna be champions in heaven because the people who had great ministries could not have had those ministries had there not been an army of people behind them Praying, holding up their hands, doing work in the spirit, so that they could accomplish, so that they could stand on the platform and be mightily used of God. But I tell you what, the credit goes to the people in the background who prayed. I believe those are the champions of heaven. I don't know why, but I never hear a never hear of a, of a of a vision about that. I never hear one say, "Oh, you know, I've, I I, I, you know, I had this vision. I went to heaven and, and I saw Gertrude." You know, Sister Gertrude, they used to sit in the back, you know, and, uh, and never say, I saw her in heaven, and she had this, she was just, you know, people all around her, and she had great. I never hear about Gertrude. I always hear about Brother Hagen. I always hear about Smith Wigglesworth. I always hear about people like that. Come on now. I'm just saying that, uh, I don't know what's the basis of some people's visions, so I'm just going to leave it alone. But I know this, that the real work is done in prayer. That's where real ministry is done. That's where it's birth. It's birthed out of prayer. Every miracle, every sign, every wonder, every great sermon, every great crusade, every great act of, of the gospel is born out of prayer. Well, you're not going to get back to what I started to say before I got off on the visions, but... No one is going to get into that place of prayer, of being used like that, without the flesh fighting them. There will be sacrifices. It's a sacrifice to to turn away from things that you want to do. Spending time... Uh, doing things that you just enjoy, nothing wrong with it, just things that you enjoy doing. It's a sacrifice to be willing to listen to the prompting of the Spirit, to pick up the call of God, to separate yourself and spend time in prayer when you could be doing things with other people that are a lot more fun. Yeah, we're social people. Uh, Even us extroverts, we're social people. We want to be with people, huh? I, us introverts, yeah. I said, even us introverts, we, we still like to be with people. Maybe one or two, but we still like it. <laughs> but uh, it requires sacrifice. Giving up your own time and your own will to pray for others. Amen. Uh, to to make supplication and intercession effectively, we must see people as God sees them. We have to see people the way God sees them. Amen. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Oh, boy. Time just goes by so quickly when you're preaching. 2 Corinthians 4. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Verse 3 says, For even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. The God of this world has blinded the minds of people. And we have to realize that. People are, you know, there are people that, uh, because of their lifestyle, because of their conduct, because of the way they live, you know it, it's an offense to, to christians it's offense it's an offense to to holy conduct it's, it's an offense to your uh, to your innate righteousness that you've become in Christ. There are people out there that are offensive just by who they are and how they live it's offensive it's not, there's, there's no need to, to to deny that that's a fact but in the in the middle of that we have to also acknowledge that they're blinded. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. And God looks at them in a, in a loving, caring way. He, he wants to reach them. He, even though he, he uh, dwells in, a, in a, uh, a degree of righteousness and holiness that's hard for us to imagine. He still is moved with compassion to that one that lives in a way that we, we tend to be judgmental. And we tend to, to uh, be critical. But we need to see people the way God sees. He sees them as an object of his love. He sees them as somebody that, that he sees potential in them. I talked about that last week. He sees them not the way they are. He, he acknowledges that. But he sees beyond that. And he sees his plan for their life. When I was, when I was a, a blasphemous person, when I used to live in such a way that just, I mean, was just ungodly, mean, and, and defiant of God, God saw me here. Thank God he, he had a plan for my life, and he didn't throw in the towel because of the way I was behaving. He had a plan for my life, and somebody else picked up on that plan. Somebody was praying for me. Someone was got a hold of God's purpose and God's vision for me and his passion for me and, and stepped into that, that chain of, of intercession and, and put their hand on me and a hand on God. And God used them as the great intercessor. They became one with that great intercessor and brought us together. That's what we have to do. That's the call that's going out in, in the days of revival. That we be those kinds of people. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Now, in Jesus' ministry, he was moved with compassion <coughs> over and over again. When, when he fed the 4,000, it says he went out and he saw the multitude. And he was moved with compassion before uh, on their behalf. And he... He fed them because he was moved with compassion. The compassion that he had, excuse me, his compassion, thank you, his compassion is what enabled that deliverance to come. To so what deliverance the deliverance of their food delivering them from hunger that miracle happened because he entered into compassion because he was moved with compassion compassion is just another word for mercy or love he was moved with mercy he was moved with compassion where where, where, where did that come from it was the compassion of god that motivated him uh Over and over again, we see that Jesus ministered to people. Remember the the leper said, Lord, if you're willing, you can can make me whole. The Bible says Jesus moved with compassion, put out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, willing, be whole. And he was completely healed. But the thing that we miss so often is that he was moved with compassion. When when compassion is... Uh, is flowing and we minister from a place of, of real compassion. We're in, when we enter, let me put it this way, when we enter, in the, enter into the true compassion of the Lord and we begin to let that compassion move us, it'll bring deliverance. So often we have sympathy with people. We sympathize with them. We feel bad for them, for the things they're going through. But but compassion is different. Compassion brings deliverance. There's a story that uh, is told about John G. Lake. And he had a tremendous ministry in South Africa around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, just a tremendous uh, miracle ministry. And uh, there was a, a, a... He, because of the tremendous uh, effect of his ministry... It became widely known. People all over the country had a tremendous minute. Everybody was talking about it. Well, the wife of a high-ranking government official was uh, uh, stricken with cancer. Excuse me. This person had gotten down to the very uh, doorway of death, so to speak. I mean, just to the end. And they, they contacted John G. Lake and asked him if he would go pray for this woman. So he went over there and he found that she had terminal cancer and uh, they, were, they had given her up to die. And the only thing they were doing for her was giving her uh, some pain relievers to kind of keep her comfortable. Well, he went in and prayed with her. And he found out shortly after spending some time with her that she was saved. That's the most important thing. So she's saved. Uh, so then he began to talk to her about healing and started feeding her faith so that she would have a basis to lay hold of God's healing power. Well, she got a hold of the fact that healing was for her and she made the decision uh, to throw away her medicine. She said, if I'm going to believe God for healing, I mean, I'm terminal. I'm just, if, if God doesn't heal me, I'm going to die. So I'm going to turn, and, and I don't necessarily endorsing this. I'm just saying what she did. She, she threw her medicine away. She said, "I if I'm going to be healed, I'm going to throw myself over on the mercy of God and I'm just going to trust God. Well, uh, you know, she she was because she wasn't taking pain medication. She suffered. She was in so much pain, and it said that uh, it said that John Lake and, and another man would would or another person would spend time with her around the clock. There was somebody there praying with her. He would go every day, and they would he would stay for hours. This other person, and they around the clock. And when they prayed, she would get some relief, but she still didn't have a manifestation of her healing. And uh, after several days of this, uh, one day uh, John Lake went home to change clothes and get a shower, get something to eat, you know, freshen up, shave, and and come back. And on his way back, he said said that he got uh, within two blocks of her house and he could hear her screaming just in the terrible pain she was in. He said when he heard that, something happened to him. He said the compassion of God of God just rose up on the inside of him. And now he had been giving himself to that, but we're talking about a manifestation of the Spirit. To be effective in supplication, intercession, there has to be the Spirit of God taking hold together with us and anointing. Well, that anointing came, and the, he said the compassion of God just gripped him. And he ran the rest of the way to her house and doesn't even remember doing it. He doesn't remember anything, but running into her house, he said he just, without even thinking, he ran in and he went down and sat down by her bed and just took this emaciated woman up who was just skin and bones and just took her up into his arms and began to weep. And while he was weeping, she was completely healed. Instantly, 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 all the symptoms left. All the pain. She was instantly healed. What happened? He, had, he was able to tap in to God's compassion on a level that he could not do on his own. It was, he had, because he was yielded to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was able to move through him. And that same compassion that moved on Jesus when he touched that leopard, moved through John G. Lake and touched that woman and she was healed. Amen. Compassion. The mercy of God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Uh, compassion brings deliverance. Every instance where Jesus was moved with compassion, the people were delivered. You go through the New Testament, you run your reference. Every time he was moved with compassion, people were delivered. Uh, there is the point when we, when we come to this place in, in the study, we need to understand the, the factor of Identification. Identification. We must identify with the one for whom we are making supplication or the one for whom we're interceding. We must identify with them. And, and it is this identification with them that brings deliverance. Really, that's what happened with... Remember when, when uh, Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb and the women were there weeping... And, and the Bible says that when Jesus got there, they were weeping. And it, and, and, it, and it says that Jesus groaned within himself and he wept. What was he doing? He he entered into uh, identification. He identified with Mary and Martha. He identified with their need. Somehow he got into that need. That's what I'm talking about. Identification. He somehow took part, stepped over into that need, and their need became his need. That's what I mean by identification. Their need became his need. He was touched with that. And isn't that what happened with Jesus when he came to the earth? Isn't that what happened? He identified with mankind. He he became like we were. He he took on our state, our lowly state, and eventually took on our sin. That's identification. He entered into our suffering with us, but in order to deliver us. Well, when when John Lake was moved with compassion, it resulted in identification. Identification. He was moved with compassion, but, but he took that, that, that sorrow and that pain that woman was experiencing as his own, sat on the bed and began to weep with her. Paul said, talking about his ministry, he said, to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. What was he talking about? He, he's talking about, I, I saw their need and I, and I became like them. I identified with them that I might win them. Well, that's that's an important element of real supplication and real intercession is, and you can't work this up. The only way we get there is by spending time in fellowship with the Lord. Spending time with you can't—you can't pray and get in God's presence for extended periods of time without walking away from that that uh, encounter with just a, a heavenly aroma of the love of God, uh, uh, getting a hold of you. It changes you. Well, that's where, that's where God is leading people in prayer today. He's leading us into that deeper place where we're able to actually get in the spirit and be used of God to identify, to stand. That's what Daniel was doing whenever he began to pray for the sins of his people. He wasn't sent. Daniel was the one that went to the lion's den rather than compromise. He wasn't unrighteous. He wasn't a sinner. I mean, you know, in the sense of that day, he was a righteous man. But he began to confess the sins of his people. Why? He took them as his own. He began to identify with them and stood in their place before God and said, God, forgive us. What was he doing? He was making intercession. He was identifying. And uh, that's, that's... that's something that not many people know much about. That's why I made a statement last week or the week before. I don't remember when I said it. I said something about uh, in, in America. You know, I'm more familiar with, with our culture than any other. But in America, very few Christians know, know hardly anything about prayer. Very few Christians know how to pray. Now, they know how to pray. Remember this morning the illustration I used about driving a car? You know, you can learn to drive a car by reading the book, the manual about all the laws and you can sit in your automobile and get the, and get the you know, manual out and you know where all the buttons and levers and steering wheels and how everything works and what the key does and all of that. You can learn a lot about driving a car, but that doesn't mean you've ever driven one. There's something about getting behind the wheel of a car that you take all of that head knowledge and you start putting it into practice and then things that you've learned up here begin to make more sense well that 's one level of driving when you 're lear- first learning to drive you 're behind the wheel of the car and you 're real nervous, you, you remember you know, back whatever you were first driving you know and, and uh, you know you 're you're, you're really unsure, but you 're going down the road you know you 're making progress and I remember the first time I stole my mother 's car I, uh, <laughs> I, I skipped out on church one night and, and took her car across town across Jacksonville. I was about fifteen years old, maybe i don 't know about fifteen I think. And I took her car across Jacksonville, and, and I was with my brother's girlfriend. He was off to college. And, and he had broken up with her, okay? So he, he had, he had broken up with her. So she and I went off. We skipped out on church, and I took my mom's car. We drove across Jacksonville. It was a Sunday night, and we went to another church with some kids, some teenagers we knew. And uh, and of course they were skipping church too. And uh, anyway, I re- the very first time I drove, I remember I, I was I was I come up to this curb and I got I was just kinda got nervous and I ran over the curb, ran up on the sidewalk. <laughs> and and it almost hit a uh you know, like a, a street sign, you know, and I got it back down on the road and I said, I gotta get control of myself or I gotta get back home before I damage my mom's car. But my point is when you first start to drive you know, you're not real sure of yourself. Well, I, I picture just just using this as some kind of a, of a weak analogy, um, Americans are, are either in the boat of just having book knowledge on prayer or else they've just ventured out enough in prayer that they're like, they're like learners. They have learner's permits. But you know what? When you're, when you're teaching your child to drive or they're taking driver's ed, there's only so much they can teach them. I don't. I haven't taken driver's ed since 1969. Okay, so I'm, I'm. I know I don't. I'm not up to date. But I'm guessing that the driver's ed classes, when you're in school, I'm guessing that the drivers instructors do not take teenagers out in a driving Florida torrential downpour and teach them how to handle. Uh. uh what do you call it? Hydroplaning. Do they teach that? I don't think so. No way are they taking you out in that. Well, I'm telling you what, you drive long enough, you're going to experience it. And you're going to learn one way or another how to handle yourself when your car, when, the, when your car begins to get, be, you know, waterborne, you start hydro. I mean, there are a lot of things about driving that are advanced that if you're going to be, if you're going to be a skillful driver, you're going to experience some things. You're going to experience some things about uh, having to hit your emergency. You know, hit, give it all four, lock down on those brakes, and you're going to have to know something about skidding and how to direct that car so it doesn't start spinning out of control. They don't teach that in driver's ed. My point is, where Americans are concerned, these deeper areas of prayer, most people know very little, if anything, about them. Most Christians don't even know these realms of prayer exist. What we're taught, they don't even know about it. Never heard of it before. Never heard of it. Well, for revival praying, we have to, we have to uh, learn to be skillful, more skillful in praying than we were before we were in revival praying. Amen? In order to accomplish the will of God, we have to, we have to go deeper in prayer and we have to know some things about identification and about fervency. And I'm out of time. Praise the Lord, glory to God. I really am trying, and I'm succeeding tonight. Praise God, <laughs> hallelujah! We'll talk some more about fervency next time. Desire, perseverance, boldness, uh, a lot of things in this in this arena of prayer, and uh, it's exciting. It's exciting what God's doing among us in prayer. Praise God! It's exciting, and it's also demanding. Yeah, it's exciting. When you get over into prayer and, that, and the anointing comes, you begin to experience some things in the realm of the spirit. Ooh, the glory. Amen. But I tell you what, getting there is sometimes an effort, isn't it? Because the flesh fights you. Circumstances fight. That's where that sacrifice comes in. Praise God. I encourage everybody to enlist in the ministry of prayer. Oh, hallelujah. God needs all of us. He needs all of us. I said he needs all of us. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I look around here tonight and I see just about everybody, almost everybody in here at, come, comes to prayer with some degree of frequency. Not maybe every time, but not, not, and not everybody, but almost everybody. We have, a, we have a great move going on in prayer in our church. It's tremendous. I'm telling you, I, I know what goes on in churches. I talk to pastors, and when I tell them what, what is happening in prayer in our church, they just look at me and go, wow. I've had pastors tell me, man, that just stirs me up. I want that in my church. Well, thank God for that. Be a part of it. It's precious. It's a privileged place of prayer that we can, that we can actually act in in harmony and in concert with the Lord Jesus Christ and actually step over into his high priestly ministry and be moved with the with the compassion and the and the desire that he has for people that we can actually be used in that way. Glory to God. Great things. Great things. Great things are happening. Hallelujah. Brother Dan said last week we had what? How many? Sixty six and, and and he counted, I think Thirty people who frequent prayer, is that right? About 30 people who are commonly uh, here, in other words, they frequently, very frequently come to prayer. boy, we'd have had almost a hundred. And we know it's vacation time. Well'll praise God for vacation, but I tell you what, things are happening in prayer. There's a call to prayer in this church. Amen. Glory to God, and we're answering it. Amen. Amen, we're answering it. Praise God, we'll stand up. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the visitation that you've given us, Father. Thank you for this visitation, this revival. Thank you, Father, for the way you're moving. Lord, it's holy, It's not something, Father, that is the product of any person uh, in themselves, Lord. You've done this among us. You've done this in us, Father. You receive all of the glory. All of the glory, Father. We're so grateful to be used of you in these last days. To have an actual part to play in ushering in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ oh what an honor it is it's an honor to be called to pray to be someone that the spirit of God can, can touch and, and they respond someone that will actually be used by the spirit of God in such an important critical thing as prayer because the, the ramifications father are eternal eternal what a blessing Oh, we're grateful. We're humbled, Father. We're so humbled in Your presence when we realize, Lord, that You would choose to use us—just common, ordinary people—and You've been so gracious to us. You've, You've just revealed Yourself to us and, and revealed Your plan and purpose. And You've—it's uh, been slow to come, but, but. You've been patient with us and you've brought us along to this place. And we're, we're not where we were because you've brought us to a new place. But we know we're not where we will be. There are more glorious things ahead of us. There are, are greater glories, greater blessings, greater uh, experiences like these. But just deeper. And, and we're going to accomplish so much more as a church as we keep our heart right stay humble before you keep our hearts right our flesh under control being mindful of of the enemy that he'll always try to divide and try to cause problems and cause people to get out of sorts with one another same old, same old stuff he always does glory to God but we're learning to, to not be tricked as easily We're learning to recognize the the trickery and deceit. We're learning to recognize his strategies to separate us and divide us and to keep us off and out of your plan for our lives and out of a place of prayer. He would do everything he could to to put a stop to this revival, but but he can't do it. Because by your grace, you're keeping us alert, Lord, to his strategies. This revival will not cease. It's not going to wane. It's going to grow stronger still, stronger and stronger. Glory to God. We're going to be more and more and more and more and more effective. Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Father. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching.